No human being can live on a steady diet of no. Saying no constantly can kill your spirit. In fact, we were made for yes. And that's what we're going to focus on today. When you think about it, when you love somebody, part of what happens is you just want to say yes to that person. Think about a parent and a child in a relationship. And if it's working right, when a kid comes to a parent and they say things like, hey, mom and dad, can we go on this adventure? Or can I have permission to do so-and-so? Or can we do this together tonight? Or can I have this thing that my heart really longs for? Most parents that I know love to say yes. Now, you have to say no sometimes because you love them, right? But if a friend comes to you and they says, listen, can we hang out together? Or they say, hey, I'd love to tell you a secret that I've never told anybody. Or could I share something that's going on in my life that's really bothering me? Friends love to say yes to other friends. Think about when you fall in love, romantic love, my goodness. Saying yes becomes maybe the primary goal in your entire life. It's kind of like with respect to people, you carry a yes or a no in your heart all the time. Now we all know this. When there's somebody who has a yes in their heart for you, they love to encourage you. They love to see you grow. They love to see you soar. They believe in you. They see the best in you. Now they'll confront you. They'll challenge you sometimes in some pretty strong ways, but it's precisely because they love you so much and they want you to be at your very best. On the other hand, we also know what it's like to have somebody who carries a no in their heart for you. It has a way of wounding us. It's people who love to criticize. They actually look for faults and they always want to rain on the parade. They actually don't want you to soar. And what I want you to know this morning is that we communicate these kinds of things to each other all the time, whether we intend to or not. Sometimes it's very subtle. We'll be driving down the road in a car. There's another lane next to us. And we wonder, can I get over? And you kind of look over and it's either a what? A yes or a no. And it's almost like sometimes you can feel the yes or no coming through the windshield. We communicate it in some amazingly instinctive ways. And it leads to this really, really, really important question. And this is a very deep question, one of the deepest questions about life. Is there a yes or no in God's heart for you? I'm going to say that again. Is there a yes or a no in God's heart for you? It is one of the basic questions that has to do with the nature of existence, the nature of the universe. In other words, if there is a God, is God a yes God or a no God? Does God have a yes in his heart or is God kind of this finger wagging, head shaking, disappointed in you kind of God? Now this concern, this statement is behind one of the great statements that I think is made in the New Testament. Just a great, great statement in all really of human literature. There's this man, Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's in a relationship with a group of people in a church called Corinth. And they're not quite sure what Paul's heart is toward them. He had written them a really stinging letter. It was pretty strong. 
If you've ever read the first letter to Corinthians, it's quite painful. But then he planned to go visit him, and something went wrong, and he had to change his plan. So they were kind of left wondering, you know, is Paul fickle? Like, does he have a yes for us, or does Paul have a no for us? And he writes about this directly, but not by grounding it in his own character. And this is very important. Paul kind of says, you know, our relationship with each other should be grounded in the character and the heart of God. So he writes this in 2 Corinthians. It is a very powerful passage. He says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. There's so much in this verse, but one of the great lines there is, For no matter how many promises God has made. Let's take a guess together. Someone who had way too much time on their hands actually went through and counted how many promises are in the Bible. Turn to somebody and see if you can guess the exact number that they came up with. Just take a shot at it, okay? All of those who said 7,457, raise your hand. Yeah, that's how many there are according to this person. They've counted them up. And Paul says, listen, it's not like a lot of them are yes. It's not like many of them are yes. He didn't even say most of them are yes. He says, every one of them is yes in Jesus. And what I want you to know today is that God has a yes in his heart for you. Listen carefully. I don't care what your life is like right now. I don't care what circumstances you are in. Your mother may have said no. Your father may have said no. Your kids may say no. Your boss may say no. Your therapist may say no. Your coach may say no. The IRS may say no. Your dog may say no. Your cat will say no. (laughs) That college will say no. Listen, that job, that company may say no. All of God's promises, however, are yes in Jesus. God, will you save me? Yes. God, will you forgive me? Yes. God, will you give me a new start, a new beginning? Yes. God, will you give me strength? Yes. God, will you give me comfort? Yes. God, will you give me guidance? Yes. God, will you give me wisdom to know what to do? Yes. God, will you give me the ability to forgive this other person? Yes. God, will you walk with me to the day I die? Yes. And God, after I die, will you resurrect me and make me a part of you setting this world right again? And God says, yes. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus. And that's the yes that you and I are invited to live in every day. Now, when you think about this, this is quite staggering when you think about it in terms of Jesus. It's an amazing thing that the Apostle Paul, who was raised as a Jewish man to believe in one God said, there is this man, Jesus Christ, and his significance, his life, his teaching, something so cosmic, something so wonderful was going on in all of them that all the promises of God find their answer, yes, in his life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. 
It's all there. Most of you remember, you probably won't remember this song, but when I was growing up, we used to sing this song. Every now and then we would sing this song, Standing on the Promises of Christ My King. Anybody remember that? Wow. It's amazing. The idea is that we're all standing on something. That's what it means to be human. You cannot root your life in your own sufficiency. Now, we all stand on things, what we think is ultimately real. And there are a lot of bright people who are standing on what they can only see, touch, and feel. They'll say things like, listen, try to have a positive mental attitude. Listen, but we all know what it's like when somebody is just trying to get us to be happy for no good reason. It's like uh, in my house, we have one basic disagreement. When I push the thermostat down, Robin gets unhappy. So I'll ask her, why are you unhappy? And she says, because you have it too cold in here. And I've tried telling her over and over, there's no such thing as cold or hot. There is only inappropriate clothing. (laughs) It's never worked. Not one time. Anybody who is trying to tell us, you know, just psych yourself up. Have a positive mental attitude. We know that doesn't go very deep because something always happens. There's always a problem, a train wreck, a disaster. There's always a loss that mental attitude cannot overcome. Paul, this guy knew more about suffering and deprivation, about disappointment. I mean, he's in a prison. He's headed toward martyrdom, for goodness sake. And he says, all God's promises are yes. God has a yes for you, so you should get up every day of your life, and you should live in that yes. Now, interesting enough, there are two yeses in this passage. That's the first one. Over 7,400 fabulous promises. Read them, savor them, treasure them, immerse yourself in them. Paul says, listen, as a matter of fact, Just get them down deep inside of you so you can live that yes. And when you live in that yes, then something very interesting happens. Your life begins to change, and that's where the second yes comes in. As you live in the yes of God, all God's promises, no matter who they are, are yes in Jesus. And then Paul says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, here's the second yes. There's the yes that God says to us, but then there is the yes, get this, that we get to say back to God. Paul introduces a second word here. The first word is a Greek word. He uses that as kind of a nondescript word. But here, for our yes back to God, he uses a variant. This is the Hebrew word for yes, and it's the word amen or amen. Now, how many of you have heard the word amen? If you've been to church, you've heard it. Unfortunately, in our day, this has kind of become kind of a cliche word. It's kind of a churchy word. It's kind of a pious word. We get tired of it sometimes. Sometimes people just say it out of habit. But this is not the way this word would have sounded in Paul's day. In Israel, they loved this word. It was kind of like yes on steroids. It wasn't just affirmative. You could almost translate it as, so be it, or that's just the way we want it, or I'm really, really down with that. 
Dallas Willard used to say, if you want to, you could probably translate it, whoopee. In Israel, they loved this word. In fact, the rabbis used to say, anytime you heard a blessing, even if you were not in uh, church or temple or synagogue, when God's goodness was being evoked on someone, you were obligated by the Torah, by the law, to respond, amen. Let it be so. That's just the way we like it. It's interesting. I don't know if Robbie had this happen to him in church. When I was growing up, we had a little section of our church. And it was kind of nicknamed the Amen Corner. You ever heard of this? It was for people who would get so fired up during the service. And they thought about how good God was and how fabulous God was. That they couldn't hold it in the entire time. So every now and then they would just yell out, Amen. Amen. We do not have an amen corner in this church. In our church, we kind of have like a high-class auction where people just kind of raise their eyebrows, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) We could. We could have an amen corner. (laughs) What God says to us is that all his promises are yes in Jesus, so therefore we can make our lives great. By saying yes back to him. Here's what I want to do in the time we have left. I just want to walk through some ways that we can say yes back to God. And it's almost always related to other people. If you haven't figured this out by now, what God loves more than anything is people. And he has placed us in this world. And he has said yes to us primarily just for our sakes. No. But so that we can say yes back to other people on God's behalf. We are to be a conduit of God's yes, of his love, his power, and his goodness. And I want to tell you, whether you realize it or not this morning, every time you're with another human being, every time you're with another living soul, you're either giving them a little yes or you're giving them a little no. It's because we're with people and they have wills and we have a will. And we will either will the good, which is a blessing, or a yes, or we will will the bad for somebody, which is obviously a no. I'm going to kind of arrange this around a statement that one of my favorites, Dallas Willard, has written about in his book, Renovation of the Heart. I read it again this week, and he writes this. He says, but every contact with a human being should be one of goodwill and respect, with a readiness to acknowledge, make way for, or assist the other in suitable ways. This ought to be on some of our computer screens. This is God's plan for life on earth. This is not a neutral encounter. Every encounter with a human being should be one of goodwill and respect, with a readiness to acknowledge, make way for, and assist the other. I want to talk about these yeses to other people. As we go through Lent, as we move through life, as we move toward Easter, we can make space for people in our life. The first one is the yes of affirming people. Again, at the core of your soul, at your being, is your will. And your will is to will the good of every single person on this planet. Paul commands the church at Thessalonica. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you're doing. 
I don't know if you believe this or not, but I do. I believe that every time you're with someone, you're either building them up or you're possibly tearing them down. I guess it could be neutral sometimes, but most of the time it happens one way or the other. I grew up playing baseball, which is a great team sport. But on any team sport, especially baseball, everyone needs to be encouraging one another. On a bad team, you'll find that players start tearing each other down. Now, they do this in a lot of ways, not always verbally. Sometimes they'll do it with body language. For example, if a player in baseball makes an error or strikes out at bat, sometimes players on the same team will kind of slump their shoulders or they'll kind of kick the dirt. They'll just kind of say without saying it that, you know, you let our team down. You disappointed us. In a good team, they do just the opposite. They're always building each other up. And when I was 13 years old, I played on one of the greatest teams I ever played on. It was kind of an all-star team that represented our league at a regional state event. And we had a coach, and this guy was so positive. I'll be honest with you, he wasn't even a great baseball coach when it came to, like, the technical parts of the game. But this guy knew how to encourage people. And he always had this little gesture. I'll never forget it. He always would look at people and he'd say, you got this. I mean, we got tired of seeing that sometimes. You got this. And during that all-star tournament, we were in the semifinal game. The winner was going to go to the championship. We were playing one of the top teams actually from our area, a little team from Zephyr Hills. And uh, toward the end of that game, we were tied. As we came up to bat, they made a pitching change, and they put one of their better pitchers in. And I'll never forget this kid. He had long, flowing, blonde hair. I mean flowing, like way down his back. His name, the team had given him a nickname, Goldilocks. Everybody knew Goldilocks. Goldilocks may have looked like a girl, but he didn't throw like a boy. You like how I did that? He threw a mean fastball. Somehow, in the la- next to the last inning, we managed to get two runners on base, and then I came up to bat. Now, I'll tell you right up front, I was an average hitter. I was a great fielder, but I was an average hitter. And I was hoping maybe I can just make contact so maybe something will happen and we can score a run. First pitch didn't start too well. He threw it right in the dirt, and I swung at it anyway. Missed it by a country mile. Second pitch was a curveball. It fooled me so much I didn't even swing at it. The umpire rang me up, strike two. And you could just kind of feel everybody in the stands do that kind of like, you know, like, Phil sucks. (laughs) We're in trouble here. (laughs) And then my coach, who was Mr. Positivity, did something I'll never forget. He stepped out of the dugout. I thought he was going to call a timeout. I didn't know if he was going to switch me out with somebody or what was going to go on. But he just clapped his hands like that and made me look at him. And he said, you got this. (laughs) I don't know if I can explain to you what that did to my heart in that moment. But I got back in that batter's box and I dug in. And Goldilocks wound up and threw a pitch. And I, to this moment, don't even remember anything about that pitch except that I swung as hard as I could swing and I felt the ball hit the bat had no clue where it went 
And all of a sudden, the coach is screaming at me to run, and the fans are screaming at me to run, and then my brain started screaming at me to run. And as I rounded first base, I looked up, and I saw the umpire, who was the second base umpire, and he did his hand like this, which is a signal for a home run. Friends, I hadn't hit a home run in that league the whole year. And now I'm running around the bases with a home run. And I didn't know what to do, so I just did what I saw all the major league players on TV do. I just held my hand up in the air like this. <laughs> my mom and dad told me later on, said, boy, that was kind of arrogant, wasn't it? You hit one home run, and then you're going to be number one. It is one of the most fond memories I have of being a teenager. And I'm going to tell you something. It all came down, partly at least, to a guy who just looked at you and said, you got this. Here's the deal. There are people in your job. There are people at your school. There are people who are discouraged. And you can be God's yes to them. You can come alongside them and encourage them. You can challenge them. You can breathe life into them. Listen, somebody's going to be in your house this week. And something's going to be going on, and it's going to be difficult. And maybe nobody else knows about it. Maybe a, different, a difficult day or interaction. Somebody will have said something. Listen, you can listen to them. You can be there. You can care. There's going to be somebody in this church. I don't know if you know this, but people come to church, and awful things are going on in their lives. They're suffering loss. They've been through divorce. They're carrying around guilt. Sometimes big financial problems. They're wondering, oh, could I talk to anybody about this? And they sneak into church and they just sit there and then they leave. You know what? You could be the person who looks them in the eye and says, you got this. Listen, some of you are going to get in an Uber or a Lyft. And that driver has been sent to you so you could encourage them. There's going to be somebody at the grocery store. That is the yes of affirmation. It is fundamental we all have wills, and those wills are to be remade in God's image so that we walk through life and we radiate affirmation for every single person on this planet. Amen, Corner? Amen. Thank you. Number two, the yes of acknowledging people. This is very small, but super important. Paul writes a very interesting verse in the book of Romans. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. We're going to do this in a moment, except for the kiss part, so don't get excited. Okay. Paul did not say, pass on my greetings to the people. He said, greet each other. Greet each other. In other words, be a people who greet one another. Be a people who acknowledge each other's existence. Now, this like sounds like basic stuff, right? You just walk down the street, you go down the sidewalk, you're in the hallways at school, you're going down you know, the aisle at uh, the grocery store, there's other people coming to them, and you have an option. You can greet them, you can acknowledge them, you can look them in the eye, you can use your eyes, and just say, I welcome you into my life. Or, you can do this, and you can just avoid eye contact. Now, how many of you are introverts in this room? Right? Okay. Me too. But anytime you're an introvert, you automatically almost have a little no inside of you. <laughs> and we live in this world today compared to other centuries where there's villages and tribes. It's a world that's really become quite cold. 
Paul says, listen, when you come together, when you see other people, look at them and greet them and notice them. Acknowledge that they exist. I kind of felt convicted about this because I've noticed this. I've noticed this sometimes when I give a sermon, I walk out in the lobby and I know that I'm supposed to find people to greet them. But oftentimes I don't want to get in like long conversations. So you know the easiest way to, to, to avoid that? Look down. If you just don't make eye contact. I do this particularly when the sermon has gone really, really bad. It's kind of weird. As a teacher, you kind of know whether things are going well or not well. And if they go well, you want to make eye contact. If it goes bad, you want to get out of Dodge. So here's the deal. I'm going to make a kind of a new commitment here. I'm going to make it at least for the rest of Lent, okay? If I come in the lobby, I'm going to make eye contact with you. So please smile back at me, even if the sermon's stuck, okay? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Particularly during Lent, it would also be good to be able to acknowledge people that nobody else usually acknowledges. Robin was telling me about a person here at Oasis, just a wonderful, wonderful person. And she makes up these little care packages. She puts them in her car. And whenever she meets someone on the street, sometimes they're homeless, sometimes they're just struggling financially, sometimes it's people in her business because of the kind of business that she is, she comes across. She makes eye contact with them and she actually talks to them and gives them a care pa- package and she actually listens to their story. She's one of the best people in the world at treating other human beings like they exist. (laughs) So that's the second thing. Just acknowledge people. The third one's kind of interesting. Dallas says it's the yes of accommodating people. Accommodating. You know, we kind of live in a world where people want to kind of make their own way. But the same guy Paul writes, and he says, In humility, value others above yourself and looking to your own interest not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Now again, this seems like it's so small, but it's a great opportunity to always, when you're with people, to say, no, you go first. You, you lead the way. This is such a small example. I couldn't think of a better one, though. If you've ever been on a plane, you probably noticed a pretty common phenomenon. It's amazing. When a plane lands, you know, you taxi for a while, and then you pull up to the gate. And when you get to the gate, and it's about to come to a stop, what do you notice everybody does? They start leaning forward in their seats, they unbuckle that seatbelt, and you hear that bell go off, and it's immediately time to jump in the aisle ahead of the other guy across the way. God forbid that I should not be able to step in that aisle before they do because I might not win first in the aisle contest winner. And I might actually take 10 extra seconds to get to my car. I mean, it's like people are Pavlov's Pavlov's dogs waiting for the bell to go off. Just watch it next time. So during this season, maybe, at least during this season, the next time you deboard a plane... I just challenge you to just sit there and let everybody leave first. Just stand there and say, no, no, you go. 
Now, you probably want to make sure the people behind you get off. Okay. But just kind of sit there and just say, hey, hey, you go. You're first. No, 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 you're first. Go ahead. Some of your brains will almost explode, will When you're at an intersection and somebody's in the crosswalk, just stop and say, no, 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 you, you go ahead. I was at the grocery store in Publix a couple weeks ago. We were both walking up to an express line, me and another lady. She had like 12 or 13 items. I had one item I was buying, one. She was first. And she looked at me. She said, no, 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 you go. You've only got one item. So what a wonderful lady. I'll tell you another picture. In conversations, do you make way for other people? Years ago, I worked at a church in Tampa. And there was a guy on that staff. His name was Bill George. Bill was one of the best I've ever seen, ever seen at this in my life. We were at a church conference together. And during one of the breaks, we were out uh, kind of in the break time talking with each other. And there was another guy off to the side who wanted to join in our conversation, but I kind of had Bill to myself and was kind of talking to him about something. So I was kind of sending the signal to this other guy that, no, you're a little needy. I don't think you need to be a part of this conversation. And Bill, being who he was, he saw this guy and he actually turned from our conversation and he spoke to this guy and he invited this guy into the conversation with us. And later on, when we got back to church, we were having a staff meeting and He was going over this kind of what he learned at the conference. And one of the things he mentioned was this little picture of Christian community. And he said, in fact, we were at break, having the break time, and there was a guy who wanted to be a part of the conversation that Phil and I were having. And we could see that. So Phil and I turned and we invited him into the conversation, didn't we, Phil? I was like, yeah, of course we did. (laughs) Of course. See, that's the yes of accommodating, the yes of acknowledging, the yes of affirmation. And then there is the yes of assisting. This is just the simple yes of serving somebody. It's kind of the signature of the early church. Paul says to the Galatians, he says, serve one another humbly in love. He said, don't worry so much about being right or wrong. I mean, God knows our world has enough people in it right now who think they're right, and we definitely have enough people who think that everybody else is wrong. But one of the ways that we can say yes to people is just by serving them. I'm so proud of our church because so many of you do this in such wonderful ways. This coming Saturday at Serve Day, another great opportunity. When you go to work, our world has enough people in it who go to work with a no in their heart. Isn't it life-giving to go to work with somebody who has a yes in their heart? I was at a restaurant a couple weeks ago, super busy. I mean, just super busy, like an hour wait. People standing in line waiting to get in this restaurant. And I made the comment to the host. I was like, man, it's got to be hard working in a place like this. And this girl just stopped and looked at me. And she said, man, this place is hopping, and I love it. I was like, wow. I'd like to hire you. Griping, complaining about people. No, this place is hopping and I love it. There's something contagious about that. Listen, I don't care if it's volunteering or going to work. 
whether you think you have a really, really important job or your job may be drudgery, maybe it's high status or low status, I don't know. But even Paul says, kind of think about like you're working for God. God delights in you. And you can say yes back to God, listen, by just serving people. Weigh in with this. And this is kind of the all-encompassing one. This is a yes to God that is the great yes of life. And that is the yes of joy. Believe it or not, friends, joy will come in your life. And it won't come because of your circumstances or because of your intellect or because of your wallet. It won't come because you're young or because you're older. And it will often come, I realize, at times when you're touched by something, whether it be suffering or disease or sorrow. But because all of God's promises are yes in Jesus, Paul says this is the reality you should live in. You should live in the yes of joy. There's a great story in the Old Testament where the Ark of the Covenant, which you know represented the presence of God, was finally being returned home to Jerusalem. I want you to notice the two reactions to this wonderful event happening. It's found in the book of 2 Samuel. A very short little passage, and it said, And as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Micah, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David dancing and rejoicing, and she despised him in her heart. What they're foreshadowing here is the presence of God being with his people, and that is what happened when Jesus came. In Jesus, God is now as close as the air we breathe. And I'll tell you how you can respond, and there's really only two ways. You can either respond with a yes or a no. You can either respond and be David, or you can be Micah. You can either dance, or you can despise. And my question to you is, why don't you dance? I mentioned Dallas Willard, who I often talk about probably too much because his writings have impacted me and my walk with God more than any other person. He led the philosophy department at the University of Southern California. But his heart was actually better than his mind was. And for all his brilliance, he also learned in his life how to say yes to God with joy in the goofiest, silliest ways. Most people would be embarrassed about these. A friend of his, Jim Smith, was teaching a course with Dallas one time out of town. And when they came home at night, they came back to their room, it would kind of surprise them that Dallas would just kind of sit and surf the channels of television. I mean, this guy had read everything you could read. But he explained to Jim, he said, it kind of helped slow my mind down. And now to add to the unlikeliness of him watching so much television... (laughs) Dallas would always teach in a suit and tie. He was like real traditional that way. But when he came home, he would change into Bermuda shorts, a white t-shirt, and he would leave his brown wingtips and brown socks on. Now think about this. This philosopher sitting in a lazy boy, channel surfing in Bermuda shorts, a white t-shirt, and brown wingtips. 
And one night he comes to this station, it's a Spanish language station, and they're playing salsa music. And they're teaching people how they can salsa dance on this show. And Dallas looks at his friend Jim Smith and he says, that's quite interesting. Well, he had to do that. So he gets up in his brown wingtips, his Bermuda shorts and white t-shirt, and he salsa dances before the Lord. The question is, why don't we dance? Maybe this week you could just write down the word yes, put it on a card, put it on something, and just put it on your nightstand. Put it on your kitchen counter. Put it on the rearview mirror of your car. Just this week, at least this week, say yes, yes, yes. We do this because God has made over 7,400 promises and every one of them is yes in Christ Jesus. And that's why the Bible ends the way it does. I don't know if you've read these words lately, but I love the way the Bible ends. The author says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. It may not look like it when you're suffering and you're going through tough times. He says, but just understand, in light of eternity, in the eyes of God, it's going to be a blink. And then he says these beautiful words, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let it be so. Yes. Whoopee. Let's pray. My Father, last week was the week of no, but this week is the week of yes. We want to say yes to you, God, first. We want to feel that yes back that you have in your heart for us. No condemnation, no finger pointing, no shaking of the head, but a God that is full of grace and full of love and truth and full of acceptance. I don't know about the people in this room today. I don't know what they think about your heart toward them. But I pray that right now they would sense an overwhelming yes. And I pray they would know that every one of those yeses are backed up by a promise is rooted in Christ Jesus. That is established in Christ Jesus. And I also pray this week that we could say an amen to you every single day as we interact with other human beings, other souls walking this planet. That we would acknowledge and we would affirm and we would accommodate and we would assist them. And by doing so, we could say yes to the great adventure of joy with God. We commit that in our hearts during this Lenten season. In Christ's name, amen.